Good morning. We are glad you're with us today, and welcome to our first-timers. We're so glad you are with us today, and hope you come back to, to worship with us. Uh, we've been gone for 10 days on Lake Erie, a great place to be, and last Sunday I was in a pavilion looking at the lake and worshiping with other people. I mean, you're okay, but that was really good. That was really good to do that, you know? But it's, uh, it's, it, I do miss being here when I'm gone, and nice to be back today. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. This series that we're, we're in right now is, is called, When It's All Said and Done, uh, because the book of Romans is a letter that the Apostle Paul writes to the first century believers in Rome. And you can really boil the Bible down, all 66 books that are found in here, to these, to these words in Romans, it's the essence of Christianity. Martin Luther, clear back in the 1500s, wrestled in the book of Romans, and it absolutely changed the direction of his life. And spiritually, he was never the same again. And that's why these words, while they're, they're difficult for us to, to, to work through, they're essential in grasping them for, the, for our own maturity in Jesus Christ. And I hope you'll find today helpful and encouraging and a blessing to you. You know, the passage before us is a complicated one, and it's challenging, uh, but it's so important. It's so challenging that even scholars who have worked at translating it, disagree on how it should be punctuated. Greek manuscripts uh, are without punctuation. And punctuation makes a big difference. Consider this line on the screen. Now, how would you punctuate that? You ladies might punctuate it this way. Woman, without her, man is a savage. We men prefer this translation. Woman, without her man, is a savage. It's interesting what a little difference punctuation will make. Now, we're not going to get that detailed in our study. Uh, preaching's purpose is not to go verse by verse and dissect every word. Preaching's purpose is to influence an audience about life in Christ, moving deeper with him or coming to Christ or, or making it. So, so I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm giving an overview of our text today, which though challenging, is such a blessing to us when we grasp the essence of what Paul is saying. Verse 12, chapter 5. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned, to be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, sin reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification." For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? 
Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all the people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Get it? I tell you, it's one of these texts that we have to work through. Now, when we study a text, one of the things we look for are key words that rise up to the surface. There are key words that, that jump out, and on that we start building a context and, what, and a message of what's trying to be said. So in this text, four times, you'll notice, we have the word reign, R-E-I-G-N. That gives us a clue, and that helps us hang the truth on some hooks that will help us through all of this. What Paul basically is doing is comparing and contrasting the, 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 the reign or the work of Adam, Adam, what he did, and the mess he created with Jesus Christ, whose life and message brought us salvation and redemption. This word reign leads us to think in terms of kingship and dynasty. A dynasty is a, 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 the length of time a certain family has, like the, the Ming dynasty we referred to, or Ptolemy's dynasty. There are certain families that have the reign, and then another family comes in, another dynasty begins. So that's what we have here. So this is all good news for us. Let me, let me try to stay it simply, even though I know I don't grasp the depth of this text completely. I'm simple-minded, so I have to state it simply. We have two dynasties. The first dynasty is Adam's dynasty. Adam's dynasty was our ruin. We were ruined as a human race because of Adam's dynasty. And within Adam's dynasty, there are two kings who ruled. The first king is King Sin. King Sin ruled. For a long time, even today... King Sin is the major king in people's lives or, or king in the lives of the majority of people on the face of the earth. He still rules and reigns. Adam and Eve were created. They were put in this beautiful place. They drank pure water. They had a perfect environment. There was no need for a G20 summit. They had perfect fruits and vegetables. The environment was flawless, a beautiful surrounding. When God put them there, he said to them, you can have free reign, but do not eat the fruit off this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why? Because God himself is saying to them, I am the transcendent one. In other words, I am completely other from you. I am separate from you. You are the creation. I am the creator. And by virtue of who I am, I am able to determine good and evil. As the created beings, you are not. Despite that, Adam decided he didn't want that. And so he basically said in eating the fruit, we don't want you to call the shots. We'll take care of deciding good and evil for ourselves. We'll be the center of the moral 
universe. And from that, everything has fallen apart. All we have to do is look around our world today. That's your problem, and it's my problem. Because we are all prone to fight against this key authority in our lives, God himself. We, we, we refuse to let him be the one who speaks and commands us, and we obey without question. So this is what has happened. So today people will say, well, why is there so much pain in the world? Why is there so much poverty? Why do children get hit by cars? Why do people die at the, at the wheel of drunk drivers? Why are there natural disasters in the world? Why is there poverty? I mean, all these kinds of questions. Why is there pain and suffering in the world at all? And the answer is, of course, that man, because of his rebellion, ushered sin into the world. And when sin came to the world, there, there are consequences to living, living apart from God's plan and his will. And sometimes we suffer personally because of our personal sins. Sometimes we're just the victims of living in a fallen world where there's evil and pain and wrong. Now, when Adam and Eve ate that fruit, they had no idea what they were doing. I mean, they didn't know the implications. Do you remember studying Albert Einstein's theory of relativity? E equals MC squared. Energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. Now, about as much as I understood about that is to write those letters on a, sta- on a paper that was my test for that period. That's it. Now, Dr. Saxman, retired physicist, is in our congregation. And if you have any questions, call him. Do not call me. In fact, I feared using it as an illustration because I know Dr. Saxman is going to email me this week trying to explain to me what the theory of relativity is. I really don't care what it is. <laughs> but when Einstein presented that theory, uh, they, they suggest there are about 12 people who understood what he was saying, what that formula meant. It took time for others finally to grasp it and for man to learn that he could split the atom. And then the atom bomb was made. And then it fell on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And still in the world today, we have a nuclear arms race. And all all eyes right now on North Korea because of that formula. The ongoing implications of that one formula. There's ongoing implications of eating that fruit in the garden that seems so innocent. Friends, brothers, and sisters, sin always leaves its mark, always. There is no such thing as any sin about which we can say, well, it only hurts myself, it's not hurting anybody else. That's a lie of the evil one. It affects your marriage, it affects your friendships, it affects your employment, it affects your self-image, your self-worth, your confidence. It affects decisions you make in your life at every level. Something, at something is affected. And so, we look at the U.S., and we have the highest percentage of people incarcerated in prisons in the, of the countries of the world. But you don't have to know stats. You don't have to hear an illustration about Albert Einstein to get this. All you have to do is look in the mirror. That's all I have to do. I look in the mirror, and I see my own bent towards sinning, my fallenness. I am reminded, I'm reminded all the time of my continual struggle with temptation and sin. So, King Sin has ruled. 
And then because of that, King Death ruled. Because the Bible says when sin is finished, it brings forth death. That's what the Bible says. And so we have the word death seven times in this passage. And sin always produces death at some level. People die because of sin. Not personal sin necessarily. It can be true. But just for living in a world that is in the dying process. God said, the day you eat the fruit, you will die. You will surely die. There are three uses of the word death in the Bible. By death, the Bible means spiritual death. That's the separation of the spirit from God himself. He, 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 sin cuts, somebody well said that sin cuts the optic nerve of the soul. In other words, we're ushered into a kind of spiritual blindness. So without Jesus Christ, there is deadness. Ephesians chapter 2 says, You who were once dead in your trespasses and sins, you've been made alive by Jesus. Now, this is so deceiving because when you look around our communities, when you look around your school, when you look at people that mean something to you, people that you care about, they look so alive. You know, they, they, they're, they're moral, they pay their taxes, they don't kick the cat, they, they, they take care of their kids, you know, they take care of their uh, nice lawns and houses, everything, everybody looks so good. A couple of weeks ago, I finally got around to going to the dump, the town dump, to take my brush and limbs, along with, by the shed, December's Christmas tree. Now, that tree, I mean, it was brown. It was bad. But you know what? It was no more dead two weeks ago than it was in December when I cut it off from its life source. Now, in December, I put ornaments on it, and I put lights on it, and it provided atmosphere and beauty and romance and all the stuff that goes with Christmas, all the ornaments. But it was as good as dead. It just hadn't yet revealed how dead it was. And people around us are ornamented with degrees and positions and money and possessions and, and, and activity and hobbies, busyness, noise, all of that, which are mere ornaments over deadness. And I do not believe that Plainfield Christian Church really believes people are dead to Christ and to God. Because if we really believe that, we'd be more effective in our lives in engaging people in spiritual conversations about the, where they are because Christ is coming. And so it's one thing to have as a tagline, loving all people to new life in Christ. It's another thing to carry this burden with us wherever we go, that Christ is coming and people I'm around are lost and dead without him. This is how bad spiritual death really is. It's such a tricky thing, what the evil one does to dull us. By death, the Bible also means, of course, physical death. The separation of the spirit from the body, the Apostle Paul said, as long as I'm away from the Lord, I am present in the body, but to die is to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. And by death, the Bible means eternal death, a separation from God for all eternity. There is no second chance. There is no, no other opportunity after this life. The Bible said it is appointed for all people once to die, and then comes the judgment. 
Revelation 20 says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. You know, despite the heinous reality of spending eternity in death for so many people, we do not have to live with that fear if we are born again in Jesus Christ. A person who is alert to that truth and comes to understand it and grasp it can be made alive in Jesus. So here's the truth about Adam and what happened. When Adam sinned, he died immediately in his spirit. He died gradually in his soul. And he died eventually in his body. That's the news. That's Adam's dynasty. But praise God, we don't have to live under that dynasty. Jesus Christ came. And because he came, we live under his dynasty, which is our rescue. Jesus Christ came to rescue us. What Adam destroyed, Christ recovered. And there are two kings associated with Christ's dynasty. The one is grace. King grace rules. King grace rules. Verse 21 says, just, just as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign. King grace is always stronger than king sin. I still find people after 30 years or 40 years being in church every Sunday questioning whether God has really forgiven them. And I grieve for them to have heard the gospel over and over and still wonder if God's grace and forgiveness can reach this far. And friends, it can. There is no heinous thought. There is no behavior. There is no event. There is nothing that you've ever done, that any of us have ever done, that is beyond the reach of the grace of Jesus Christ. That's the good news. Now, verse 20 says, where sin increased, grace has increased even more. Now, that doesn't mean, and we'll talk about this again next week, that if grace is so wonderful, then it doesn't matter how much sin I do. I just keep sinning more because grace is going to cover it. I mean, you've heard people say, I've heard people say, maybe you've thought it before. Well, I know when I'm through this, God's going to forgive me when it's all over. That is a treacherous way to live your life. It's a treacherous way to treat God's grace. That's assuming on his grace. And I don't know what God does with it. I'm, hands, I'm not the judge. I just know when we live with that kind of mindset, we really don't grasp grace and what it means. And so we have to keep learning it over and over again. And we think somehow that whatever we've done is, is be, can be beyond God's reach. You know, this king, our king that we worship today, I mean, there's no one like him. And he is stronger than any opposing king. Do you believe that today? Whatever is trying to dominate your life, Jesus is stronger than. Whatever temptation, whatever behavior pattern, God's grace is stronger than that. So much so, not only can he redeem, but he can rescue from that pattern. Adonai Bezek was a king we meet in the Old Testament. What a great name, right? 
Adonai Bezek. Why, why do I have to be Steve White? Why can't I be Adonai Bezek? I like that name. Adonai Bezek was a kind of ruthless king. He was a Canaanite king, an enemy king. And he, uh, he came against 70 kings, and he beat them. And every time he conquered a king, you know what he did? He cut off their thumbs and big toes. So they'd lose their balance, couldn't walk very well. They couldn't grasp anything. Imagine how humiliating that was for a conquered king. Uh, they were so humiliated, they even, uh, they even begged at King Adonai Bezek's table. But then God's people came into the land. God was giving them the land, and he ordered them to conquer the land. And God's people came in, and they conquered King Adonai Bezek. And guess what they did to the king? <laughs> they cut off his thumbs and his big toes. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. God's people throughout the history of Israel, as they were humble before him, as they served him, as they cared more about his name than their own name, God always granted victory. Always. God's God's people weren't even great warriors, but by the name of the Lord, they were conquerors in that land. And you and I can live as conquerors in well as well in whatever, whatever we're working through. You see, sin at its worst is a Roman soldier nailing the hands of Jesus to a cross. And grace at its best is Jesus saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Sin at its worst is a, a man hanging there with Jesus saying in a mocking tone, if you're the son of God, you know, get us off Get us down out of here. But grace is saying, Jesus saying to the other man with him, today you'll be with me in paradise. But sin at its worst is these soldiers putting a crown of thorns to mock him on his head, his king, and then spitting on his face. And grace at its best is Jesus, in spite of that, choosing to stay on the cross, crying out, it is finished. Meaning, I've come to accomplish what I came to accomplish. God's servant bringing redemption to the world. Friend, this is the king that we worship today. And this king, king grace, ushers in king life. The second king under the Christ dynasty. Verse 17 says, we might reign in life. And in the Bible, eternal life, eternal life begins at surrender, not death. And we have in our minds that eternal life happens. When I die, I'm going to go on to eternal life. No, eternal life begins when you come to Jesus Christ. It's a common misconception. But life means being with Jesus. And so eternal life begins when we are baptized into Jesus Christ. When we are baptized in that water, we are cleansed from sin. The Holy Spirit comes into us to empower us. And we are are at peace with our Creator That's what happens when we're baptized. In the Bible, eternal life is a gift, not a payment. Why do we keep saying that? Because we are hard hard students. It's difficult for us to learn that because in every area of life, anywhere else, there's always wages. There's, there's, There's always a reward for a job well done at every level. And this, it doesn't, it doesn't, if it's too good to be true, it must be. Or, you know, there ain't no free lunch, we say. But here, someone died in our place and paid the price that we may have this gift. You know, the most obnoxious time to have a kid or a grandkid is on their birthdays and at Christmas. Right? I mean, don't I have an amen there? I mean, really. 
You give them a gift, they wrap it, they, they, turn, oh, let's go. they throw it aside, and then, you know, what's next? And then you give them the last present, and is there anything else? You, you snot-nosed brat, you know. I mean, that's how we feel, right? That's how we feel. Why? They're childish. They're childish. They don't understand the nature of a gift. They don't understand the love behind a gift. They don't understand what goes into the gift. And so when we sink and, and reverse back into this wages and have any, any thought, well, I just figured out what I gave to the church the last 50 years. Oh, I think that should be worth something, you know. You know, or, you know, I've been teaching these, I've been teaching these fifth graders for how many years? I mean, doesn't that mean anything? Not regarding your salvation. Regarding service to the Lord, absolutely. But regarding salvation, doesn't mean anything. But if those thoughts trickle in, it means we still haven't fully grasped how grand this gift is. And in the Bible, eternal life is knowing God intimately, not generally. John 17 says, Jesus said, in this, and this is eternal life, that they may know you and know your son, Jesus Christ. That's what eternal life is. You see, it's not enough for any of us to be here and to generally love God. And to say in a general sense, I'm going to church, yeah, because I love God. It's one thing to live that way and to live another way in a school or in your campus or at work or at home. And you are so overwhelmed with the fact that God has loved you so much. And you, can't, you never shake it that it's always with you. That he has loved you infinitely. He has loved you to the degree he has. It always marks you by your reactions to people, responses to people, by the grace you extend to other people who wrong you, all those kinds of things. You know, it captures you. It's to know him intimately every day. So life begins immediately in your spirit when you're baptized into Jesus Christ, when you're born again. In baptism, you're born again. Because your sins are forgiven and the Holy Spirit comes to live in your life. It means you're dunked underwater. You're, we're going to celebrate Rose, right? Rose in a little bit here is going to be baptized into Christ. Rose, that's what's happening today. It's a grand, never forget it, okay? Never forget it. It's a great day. Buried with Christ. And we're going to celebrate when Rose comes out of that water. Born again. So gradually in your, I mean, immediately in your spirit, that's justification. Justification, remember, we talked about the last few weeks, means means declared, it's a legal word, declared righteous even in our sinning state. We're declared righteous even though we know we still sin and are drawn away. Gradually in your soul, that's, the Bible calls that sanctification. What that means is we are growing more and more to be like Jesus. That's what sanctification means. We are growing to be more and more like him inside and out. Not just behavior, but within how we think, how we operate, how we view the world, what our heart condition is. That's sanctification, all right? And eventually in your body. Eventually in your body. And the Bible calls that glorification. One day, we will have a body like Jesus' glorified body. Because you know what? You're not looking too good. Even today, you are decaying. I mean, I've been gone two weeks, and you already look far worse than you did two weeks ago. <laughs> no. uh, we're in that process of decay. We're not holding our own. But one day, 
we get a brand new body that will never see decay, never get sick, will never be depressed, we will never be joyless, we will never be affected by the wiles of the evil one who comes against us. What a day that's going to be. This is the good news. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses, all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. That's our story. We've all had a great fall. And try as we might, try to be as good as we can be, nothing will put us together again. And so our new Humpty Dumpty goes like this. King Jesus came to my wall. King Jesus died for my fall. He whipped King Death. He crushed King Sin. And through grace, he put me together again. That's what the good news of Jesus is all about. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for this news that is the greatest of all. And we thank you, Father, for Jesus who is our King. And I pray even this week, Father, we will experience a refreshment in life because we've been together. Regardless of the conditions of life, regardless of what's coming against us and at us and undermining us, I pray that we will allow King Jesus to reign now and forever in us. In him we pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship.